Well, this week is Sanctify number two, and I asked for a sort of a redo last Sunday night. I asked the, the people who met Sunday night, I thought, you know, give a general consensus, and I, I thought I needed a Sanctify number two to help clarify some of the things that I was saying last week, but like people have said, you know, you, you could spend all long, a long time on Sanctify itself and really never touch the hem of the garment, but... Uh, I'm going to take one more shot at this, maybe give you a little more practicality to it, too. Start off with more of a definition. That was one of the things that uh, I was told right off the bat is, how come you didn't define it? And, you know, I thought, well, that, that's, a good, that's a good question. Why didn't I define it for you all? Not that I, I kind of just assumed you guys knew, and maybe I shouldn't have assumed, but tell me, what, what does sanctified mean? Set apart. Set apart. See? I didn't need to define it, did I? <laughs> you all know what we're talking about. Sanctified, set apart, hagios, and, and different versions of that in the Bible there. To make holy, to set apart for a special purpose, uh, consecration, saint, this, this too. Holy, separated, sacred, set apart for special use. Uh, one of the definitions I really enjoy about this sanctified, when you think about yourself being a Christian and being set apart, for God's use, and I know we've talked about this before. I've used the the dry erase marker with you guys before about being sanctified. Bill gave one last Sunday night that was really simple and really short and sweet, and I'm going to steal that right now in here. I told him last week I would. So he said, you know, you set up a jar on a, on a shelf, and you've got one jar for potatoes and one jar for carrots. Those have been sanctified. They've been set apart. One's been set apart for potatoes, and one's been set apart for carrots. And that's it's really simple, you know, real simple. It's been set apart. What I really like about that being set apart is this is really getting back to the idea of the proper use of what God intended us to be doing, the proper use of us. God's proper use is, is us being set apart. It, it goes right back to what Jeff and I talked about weeks and weeks ago. Do you remember, Jeff, when we talked out there about this is not Jesus coming to be a radical but he's actually doing what's right, and it looks radical to us because it's it's actually the way God wanted it. You know, he's coming to he's coming to set things right. Yeah, right side up. He's coming to show us how God wanted us to act and and to be from the beginning. The relationship that God wanted with us. It looks radical to you and me and the world because it's the opposite of what we do. It's the opposite of how we act. It looks radical, but Jesus is really saying, "Hey, this is the intended use for you." This is God's intended use for you. And that's, I like that set-apart definition. God's intended use, and it's a proper functioning. Think about yourself functioning properly on a daily basis. As we get older, do you start functioning improperly? Yes. But God is saying, you know, in my son, you are functioning properly. This is your proper function. Outside of him, there's the improper function. God's really coming to set, Jesus has come to set things right, put them back in order, get them right again. And for this, we're going to look at um, three views. I want to share three views of sanctification with you really here. Um, the initial sanctification, because there is an initial part of this sanctification. I don't have the scriptures up there this morning, so you're going to have to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians if you want to follow along with me there. Chapter 1, verse 2, for the first part of this, the initial sanctification. There is a starting point when we are sanctified. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he writes to them, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. In, the, in that verse, he's saying, you have been sanctified. I'm writing to people who have been sanctified. There's an initial sanctification here, and he mentions it again over there in chapter 6. When he's running through the list of what they used to be, and reminding them, this is who you were, but you're not that anymore because of this purpose here. The, going back to the initial sanctification. In fact, it's verse 11 that that's in, but I'm going to go back to uh, verse 7 just for, just for fun here. No, not verse 7, excuse me, verse uh, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the, the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is an initial sanctification here that Paul says, this has happened to you. If you're in Christ, you have been sanctified, you've been washed. You used to be that, but you're no longer that because of this washing, this sanctification but there's also the ongoing part of the sanctification. Go over to Philippians. It's got one verse here for this one. Because there is an initial, but it doesn't stop there. As we said last week, this is an ongoing process. It's something that happens throughout the life of a Christian. So if I've been sanctified, now I look forward to a continual sanctification here. For I am confident of this very thing, verse 6 of Philippians 1, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is keeping on. He's working through us. He's constantly working through us. And there's a constant state of sanctification here as we are working through this. Now, let me show you the future of sanctification. Same, cha- same book, chapter 3, verse 21. I think there's this this future state where we're done. When we get to heaven and we're resting with him, we're done. 321, who will transform the body after he says our citizenship is in heaven? We eagerly await the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself? In that state, there is no more, no more work for me to do. He's, he's pretty much done with me too. I, we're all there. We're, we're in our final resting place. We're in our resting home here. He has, sub, he has uh, sanctified me. He continually sanctifies me. And that consummation, I will be sanctified completely, set apart for him for all eternity when I'm dead and, and in heaven. Sanctification, I think. Is that that three-step, three-step, uh, three-part process? The uh, initial, the future, or the ongoing, and the future. But what we're going to talk about this morning, because the initial has happened for those who are in Christ, you have been sanctified, you've been justified, just like Paul says in First Corinthians six. But then you go and you start living your life, and what happens? Are we done completely with God's work on us? Are we done completely with God working with us and through us and on us? 
it's just beginning, isn't it? It's just beginning the process of understanding who he is and learning him and, and, and being molded and shaped by Jesus and, and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's that ongoing process of sanctification. And that's where we're going to talk about living this sanctified life. Now, for the rest of this, we're going to be pretty much in Romans 6. So go over to Romans 6. You might need to turn every once in a while, but keep your marker or you know, your finger in Romans 6 because we'll be going back and forth and spending most of our time here. Because I think here in Romans 6, Paul gives a really good explanation of a sanctified life. He's talking to people who have been sanctified. They have been washed. They have been justified. All of that stuff that 1 Corinthians 6 talks about. And in fact, Paul is going to remind them of that because they're asking him certain questions and he's dealing with some, some problems here. And chapter 5 is really saying, you know, now that I'm justified, how do I live? And then Paul says in chapter 6, you think you, think you can do all this and still be a Christian. Well, let me show you what a Christian's life really looks like. Let me show you what a Christian's relationship with sin is now that you are a part of Christ. Verse 1 through 4, I want to read that really quickly, because in here I think we see another dual concept of Paul in relation to sin. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. No, of course not. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Mm-hmm. Now he's walking them through something he knows they know, which is why he says the question the way he says it. It's a rhetorical question. You know the answer to this. You know you can't continue in sin if you've been washed in him. If you've been immersed into Christ, if you've been justified and sanctified, then you know you can't continue in sin. You know that has to stop. And Paul's dual concept of sin here, I think you see there in verse 4, and well, actually 1 through 4, is really, you have been freed from your sin, but there is also a life that you live here. And sin comes into contact. You're going you're to come into contact with that again. You're going to make mistakes in your future. You're going to do things that you are not proud of. You're going to fall back, and you're going to do these dumb things. But Because you've been justified, because you've been sanctified, you live a different life now. You're no longer a slave to that sin. You no longer are are living a lifestyle of sin. You now have a new lifestyle, a lifestyle that's in Christ, a lifestyle that is freed from sin, even though we make mistakes, right? Do you always feel like you're absolutely free of sin? Do you get up every morning and think, man, I feel so spotless today? I'm going to take by your, by your mmms that no, you don't all feel spotless every day. There are some days when you get up or some days that you end up feeling like, man, I really messed up today. I don't feel so good today about me and my relationship with God and, and what I've done, what I've said. I could have done better. I could have, uh, I've got some room to grow. Everybody, everybody's got that. I mean, if, if we don't say, if we don't, If we're not there, then we're probably lying to ourselves and to everybody else around us. There's this dual concept of sin here. In fact, Romans 6, 3 through 4, he's talking about you were clean from your sin here, right? Don't you know that when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were freed from sin, right? Now, jump over, keep your finger there, jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 13 and 14 and 15. No, not 13, sorry, 14 and 15. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul talks about a life that they're living as Christ is controlling them. And this is the same kind of life that we live when we have Christ in us. And it talks about this constant and continual transformation. 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all. That they, that we, that they who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So who now do we live for? We live for Christ, right? We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ who died for us because we couldn't take care of the sin problem. Christ could. And he's explaining that to the the people here in Rome. Christ Christ takes care of your sin problem. And if you're in Christ, then you no longer are a slave to this sin. You've been clean. You don't live that life anymore. You now live a life being transformed by the power of Christ, by the power of God, being transformed by the Spirit who dwells in you. Then you go down 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Read that with me. In Romans 6, sorry. Romans 6, 5, 6, 7, and 8. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And I think the rest of that chapter, 9, 10, all the way through uh, 23, he says, okay, well, this is how you live now. You have been freed from sin. If you're a Christian, then you no longer live this life of sin. I want you to remember back to when you were freed from sin. You You were washed in the waters. You had the blood of Jesus contact you, cleanse you from all sins. You rose up just like he did from the grave. And now you live a new life that is no longer dominated by sin. You have now been set apart for Christ's use. You've been set apart. You've been put back now to your proper functioning. God has you in your proper state of functioning. Now this is how you function. This is how you live. This is what you do. And we're going to start off with verse 11 here. Actually, let's read 9, 10, and 11 since I stopped at 8. Knowing Christ, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, we have a similar thing with us, right? We died to ourselves. We died to sin. Now we live for God. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Here he is. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. There it is again. Just like you've been washed clean like he died, you are now living like he lived and lives. And you don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You're not, a, you're not a slave to sin any longer. But verse 11 really sticks out to me that says, when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel so good, or when you're halfway through your day and you don't feel so good, you look at verse 11 and what does it tell you? That the view of me that I have is not always the true view of me. That when I look in the mirror and I see this man who is flawed and, and has mistakes and is and is growing and and fumbling and making dumb choices sometimes, that that's not necessarily the way God sees me. 
God sees me as a man that is clothed with his son, that is working, that is no longer a slave to sin, that makes mistakes, but is also clothed with his son and being constantly washed and regenerated by the blood of Christ. So sometimes I think when I, when I think of sanctification, I think of a life that I live. Verse 11 reminds me to have the proper view of me. I cannot beat myself up every day over the mistakes that I make. I can't hold them against myself for the rest of my life. I can't remember, oh, remember how dumb I was back then. Well, Jesus took care of that. Let's move forward. You're not the same person that you were. Let's move forward. You're not that, that broken failure that you see in the mirror. Move forward. Because Christ has, has cleansed you. He's changed you. And he's constantly changing you. So I think one of the, one of the first things we have in, in a practical application of sanctification is what kind of view do you have of you? Are you looking at you through God's eyes or are you looking at you through your eyes? And obviously we make mistakes and we don't want to gloss over those mistakes. We need, we need help. We need to work. We need to, to, to grow. I don't want to gloss over that. But I also can't say you're a failure. You haven't lived up to the expectations. Because if Jesus took care of it, then I'm going to have to let him take care of it. And sometimes that means just reminding myself who I am in Christ Jesus. And I think Paul is saying, let me remind you who you are. You're people who have made mistakes. You're people that are going to make mistakes. But you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. Now this is how you live a life that is no longer a life slaves to sin, but a slave to God and to righteousness. And when I think of verse 11, I think of Jesus seeing his disciples. Have you seen those little... I'm sure you've read them before. Why would Jesus pick those guys that he picked? The, the, the tax collector, the zealot, the guy that's going to eventually steal money, you know, and, and, and turn him in. Peter, the hothead who couldn't keep his mouth shut. Why, why would Jesus pick these guys, these, these run-of-the-mill, low-class Galileans? Well, he saw something in them that they probably didn't see in themselves. I think he's a lot like, or they're a lot like us. He sees something in us that we can't see in ourselves. When I look at myself, I'm sometimes Peter. Sometimes my mouth runs ahead of my brain, and I say things that I shouldn't. Sometimes I'm the zealot, and I get angry, and, and I'm ready to fight over stupid things sometimes. Sometimes I'm the tax collector, and I'm worried about what you owe me more than what I, what I owe others, you know. I could be any one of those guys, and I am. But Jesus has looked at me just like he looked at Peter and all these guys, and he said, I see something in you. You don't see yourself. I see a person in you that I want to bring out. Mm. Acts 4.13. If you've got your fingers there in Romans 6, go over to Acts 4.13. Because look at the end result of some of these disciples who were set apart by Jesus. And he, and he set them apart. He did when, when, he, when he picked them. Right from the very beginning, he is setting them apart. He's sanctifying them. He's saying, I'm, I'm using these guys for a special purpose. These are my people. I'm going to use these guys for a purpose that I am dictating. I'm setting you apart from everybody else. And after Jesus has died and gone back to heaven and these disciples are moving out, or before they begin to move out of Jerusalem, but as they're starting to preach and teach, Acts 4.13, look at what the people notice about Peter and John, these two disciples. Read that really quickly. I'm not going to read it for you. I want you to read it. And I want you 
to tell me what you see in there. Courageous. Courageous, okay. What else? Ordinary, okay. Ordinary. Unschooled. Astonished. Astonished the people. There's the important one there, huh? Been with Jesus. They noticed that these guys had been with Jesus. They were unschooled, untrained, uneducated. Anybody in here unschooled, untrained, uneducated? <laughs> but man, the highest compliment there is at the end of that, that, that verse, isn't it? They recognized them as having been with Jesus. That only comes from living a set-apart, sanctified life that these disciples lived. They looked like Christ. And these men could recognize these guys have been with that troublemaker, Jesus. I, I can see some similarities between Peter and John and these guys. Now, we've talked about Acts 11, right? Where the Christians were first called... <laughs> I said Christians, didn't I? The, the Christians were first called Christians, yeah. You knew it anyway, but I gave it away even if you didn't. Why did they, why did they get called that? Even if it's a pejorative term, it is still a recognition of who they are following. They're Christ-like in their behavior, in their, their actions, and, and whatever it was they were doing, it looked like Christ. So much so that they got the nickname Christians. That's a good nickname to have. If they look at you and they say, boy, that looks like Jesus. Well, good. Yeah, good. Thank you. Call me that some more. Man, that's verse 11 there for me. It's, he's saying God wants you to look at you the way you are and, and, and see you through his eyes. That you are not this person that you were anymore. You are not this person no longer, longer slave of sin. You are now been set apart, sanctified, been brought back to the owner's, the designer's use here. I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to show you how to live. And that's displayed through the disciples and the way Jesus picked them, set them apart, how they recognized them in Acts, how they recognized people who weren't disciples, the, the disciples in Acts, just regular run-of-the-mill disciples. They'd recognize that they had they look like Jesus. They look like Christ. Yeah. Now look at verse 12 of Romans 6. After he says, here, have this proper view of you. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. There is his, okay, so you need to look at you how God looks at you. And now don't do what you used to do. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. Now that implies to me that there is some work on the person's Part here that I've got to not let it rain in my mortal body. That if I don't do this, if I if I just say I'm done, that sin can still work its way in. I've got some. I've got to be vigilant. I've got to be on guard. Like like Genesis chapter four verse four, where God says, you know, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants you, but you must master it. You you get to do that. I'm ready to help you, but you get, a part, you get a part to play in this. Everybody does, right? We get a part to play in this. It's a no more lifestyle. And why? Because of these previous verses here. Why do you not let sin reign in your mortal bodies? Because you've been washed by the blood of Christ. Because you've been buried like he was. And because you've been raised like he was to serve the God that he serves. To serve God for the rest of your life. Now here, again, let's see. Um, nope, I can't do that yet. 
Look at verses, uh, let's read 13 through 19 together. Because I'm, I'm going to use these to jump off for three points that I want you to take home with you today. In, in ways that we, in, in a way, excuse me, that, that we live a sanctified life. 13 through 19. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification. Resulting in sanctification. Paul, in the end of this, this section here, I think he, he brings their minds again back to uh, back to what they did they were at the very beginning, 6, 1 through 4, where he's reminding them, here's what you did. Of course you're not going to live in sin. You were washed in the blood. You were buried. You were raised. And over there in verse 17, he's again reminding them, you were obedient to that form of teaching. You were obedient to that, that teaching that, you, that says, do this and be sanctified. And you've done that and you're sanctified. You've been washed. You've been cleaned. And this is that, that, the beginning of, of the three things that I want to bring to your mind. Because what Paul is talking about here is what he talks about in Ephesians 2. The old man, the new man. That you used to be this, right? Mm -hmm. But now you're no longer this. Because you've been called out of that. You've now been set apart. You've now been called out and been seated in the heavenly places there. Ephesians 2, 6. You're no longer just down here on there. You're now in heavenly places with Jesus himself. With God himself. Because you've been sanctified, you've been justified. In fact, Ephesians 4, I think Bill brought this up last week, uh, evening service. Ephesians 4, 25 to the end of that chapter, he says, For you who have been stealing, what do you do? You steal no longer, and you work so that you can actually help other people out. Yeah. All right, this is a new life, right? This is the old man used to steal. The new man now not only does not steal, but now even works enough to be able to help other people out. This is that old, that new man. It's that same thing that I see in John 9 when Jesus is healing that blind man. And he's a changed man. I think he's, he's got to be a changed man, a man who's born blind. And Jesus gives him his sight. He meets him there at the end of the chapter. And he talks to him. In fact, if you want to keep your fingers here, Romans again. Go over to John chapter 9. <clears throat> And at the end, when Jesus comes back to him after he's gone through all that, that rigmarole at, at the temple and answering all the questions of those guys there, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and he's the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. Man, how could you not? And he worshipped him. Of course, I say, how could you not? And 
Plenty of people back then didn't. Same thing today. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who may see who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. There's none so blind that won't see, right? Some people just won't see. But this man has seen and now he believes. That man's life has completely changed, both physically and spiritually. He's now no longer a blind man relying on help from others. He is now a man who can work on his own. He's going to have to go out there in the world and do his own work. But he's also changed spiritually. He's seen Jesus. He's acknowledged him and he says, I believe you are who you say you are. That's a changed life right there. Luke chapter 5, the guy who's let down through the roof on that pallet. Jesus sees the faith of those men, right? And he heals that man. Which one's is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your pallet and walk? I'll show you who's, who's who. Take up your pallet and walk. He, that, that guy that leaves that and takes that pallet with him, man, it's got to be a changed life. I hope it's a changed life. I hope it's a life lived for the man who healed him the rest of the time, who saw, who can not only heal physically, but can forgive sins. That is powerful stuff. And Matthew, or excuse me, not Matthew, Mark chapter 5. Go over to Mark chapter 5 really quickly. Another man that's life changed dramatically. This guy's life, when it changed, he says, I want to go with you. I want to help you out. I've seen what you've done for me. I want to go help you out doing this for others. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So verse, well, let's see, let's just go to 19. No, no, let's go to 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. This is a man whose life has been dramatically changed. And now this old man is gone. This new man wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, go home to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went, went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This guy becomes a powerful teacher, powerful preacher for Jesus because his life has been radically changed. Amen. And has now been set aside for the master's use, for the designer's purpose. Jesus has set him on this path. You've got a completely different arc in your life here. That's 13 through, through 19, really, in Romans 6. Paul is saying, you've got a completely different life. You used to be a sinful person. You are no longer a sinful person. You're now a person that is not dominated by sin. You do sin, but you're not dominated. You're not ruled by it. You have a different life. And so here are the three things, the first one of the three that I want to tell you that we do as a sanctified life. The first thing I think we do, you and I, anybody, to live a sanctified life, we have to live it consciously. And here's what I mean by consciously. As Paul in verse 17 says, you've obeyed from the heart, right? Everybody stop your heart for a second. Not going to happen? <laughs> it's, it's an involuntary muscle, isn't it? At least we hope it is an involuntary muscle. I don't have to ask it to start. I don't have to ask it to stop. It just it goes until it's done going. Now that's not the way we offer ourselves consciously. This is a voluntary thing, not an involuntary thing. 
This is a conscious choice every day to get up and say, I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to die to the world. Every day we do this. You did this when you started your journey with God. You said, I want to get rid of my sin and I can't. I need Jesus. I made a conscious choice to give my life to Christ. And every day after that, I've got to make a conscious choice to give my life to Christ. Every day there's choices out there. Where are we going to go? Verse 16, there's your choice. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone a slave for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? There's your choice. Paul's saying, you've got a choice. And either which way you go, you're going to be a slave of something here. Either righteousness or eventually death. But you're going to be a slave of something. You've got a choice. And you're going to have to exercise that choice. Part of exercising that choice is knowing God's word. If we don't understand God's word, how does, how does he sanctify, sanctify them in truth? Thy word is truth. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our roadmap. That's our guide to understanding how to make a conscious choice and who we're making a conscious choice for and what he wants us to choose, how he wants us to act. Of course, his word is important here. It's, it's essential here. But it's really essential that you and I don't just say, like that, that old joke about learning, it's not osmosis. You don't learn by just laying your head on the Bible. You don't learn by just showing up on Sunday. You don't learn by showing up on Wednesday. You learn by getting into the Word. You learn by studying. You learn by living. It's not osmosis. This is a conscious choice that you and I make to live a sanctified life for Jesus, for God. It's just the same way that the disciples had to make a conscious choice to stay with Jesus. In John chapter 6, the disciples that made the conscious choice to leave Jesus, the other ones said, we're not leaving you. Where else can we go? Peter said, where else can we go? You have the words of life, of eternal life. Where else can you go? That was a conscious choice by them. It was also a conscious choice on the other side of those people that said, that's too difficult for me. I can't do it. And left. So the first step for me in living a sanctified life, and I think what Paul is saying here is, you've got a choice. You've made a choice. Now keep making this choice. You've got a choice whom you're going to serve. I have a verse from Wednesday night, right, Art? Choose this day whom you will serve, right? Joshua 24, 15. You can serve the gods of your fathers over here, or you can serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, it comes down to, to choosing. Who are you going to choose? It's a conscious choice. The second thing I think you have to do is it has to be a continual thing. That shouldn't be a surprise, though, right? Conscious and continual. That means every day we wake up, we make that continual choice to be Him. We die daily. We offer ourselves daily. That's that now and forever statement, I think. Paul is saying here, you've offered yourself, and now keep on doing this thing. Keep on offering. Keep on making this same choice. This is going to lead you down the right path. If I can go over to Philippians chapter 3, as you keep your hand there in, in Romans. And look at Paul's conscious and continual choice, just like Jesus' conscious and continual choice that we saw, and his disciples, and then Paul's here in chapter 3. In just verse 13, look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That almost reminds me of verse 11 of Romans 6 where he says, you know, have a proper view of yourself. 
I think it's saying have, have, have a godly view of yourself. Paul is saying, I need to sometimes, I need to forget my past here. I need to press on forward, continually pressing on forward. A, a constant moving forward with Jesus. That's what he's saying there. Continue moving forward. In fact, if you go, like one of the verses that I think Carl mentioned it this morning in class, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, about this continual choice. What are we doing with this continual choice? We're, we're constantly having the mind of Christ, right? Amen. Verse 5 through 11, have that attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be of that same mind that Christ had. But that doesn't just happen. That's a continual, constant choice of me and of you to have the mind of Christ, to imitate the mind of Christ, to be like Him. Now see, I think we're being built. We are built and we are being built. It's this constant state of God is building and constantly building. He has built us and He is building us. Bill, in fact, this morning in class brought up the foundation Jesus, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the foundation, and that no man builds upon anything except no man lays upon it. If you lay anything else down there, it's not going to. It's going to fall apart. Jesus is that cornerstone. He is that foundation. If we're not being built on Christ, then it's it's that uns, that's wise man built his house upon a rock. The other one built his house on sand. It's going to come crashing down. It's it's that same process here that I consciously choose. To be built on that foundation. I could build on another foundation. I could say I don't want that foundation. But I'm constantly choosing to be built and build on that foundation. And when we spread the word, what are we building? What are we helping people build on? Not ourselves, but Christ himself. We say, here's the foundation. Let me show you this foundation. Now you get to build on that foundation. Let me help you build on that foundation. Mm -hmm. That's that continual, constant choice that you get to make. Number three, after continually, after consciously, continually, now we have comprehensively. Three C's, alliteration, right? Love it. Three C's, comprehensively. That means all of us. We are making a conscious, continual choice to give every bit of ourselves to Him and to surrender every bit of ourselves to Him. That's going right back to what... What Paul is saying, and really when, when, I, when I'm dealing with this part here, I think it, obviously all three of them are hand in hand. But again, keep your hand in Romans 6 and go over to 1 Thessalonians. And look at this comprehensive choice that is continually made by the people here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That would be help, helpful if I was in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. 3 through 8. As he's writing to these people here, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual impurity. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles do who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matters because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There's that constant, continual 
or a conscious, continual, comprehensive choice that you, you're offering all of your body to God. Every bit of it. In fact, that points back to Romans 6 when Paul is saying in Romans 6 and verse 13 that you are presenting the members of your body one way or another, either to sin or to righteousness. When he says you present your members as instruments of righteousness to God or instruments of righteousness or unrighteousness, this, this instrument thing is a weapon. That is, that's what the, the word means. Your members as weapons of either righteousness or unrighteousness. You're, you are the battleground here, and you have the weapons. Are you going to use your weapons for righteousness, or are you going to use your weapons for unrighteousness? And Paul is saying in First Thessalonians chapter 4, God is saying, I want you to be sanctified. I don't want you to present your weapons as unrighteousness here. Use them wisely. Go over to First Peter. Again, another example of this comprehensive choice. First Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16. And again, it goes right back to the conscious continual as well, because he says, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to go back up to 13 through 16. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also is in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You are set apart. Peter's reminding them, you've been set apart. Don't, don't present your members back here like you used to, to this, to this it, what you knew in ignorance. But now you've been enlightened. You understand this is, this is what you're made for. This is the sanctification. This is the holy. This is the being set apart for sacred use by the designer himself. You have been called to that. Do this. Because if we don't do that, you all probably know this verse already, but Hebrews chapter 12. If we are not pursuing sanctification, if we're not pursuing holiness, it's going to be a problem for you and I. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. What does it say? Pursue peace with all men and what? And all holiness and the sanctification. My verse says, and the sanctification and all holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Oh, you, you, we better be pursuing sanctification. God has said you need to pursue sanctification. Paul is reminding the people at Rome you need to be pursuing sanctification. You have been sanctified and now you pursue sanctification until your sanctification is consummated in him as you go home. But it's my job to pursue this sanctification. I get to do that. And God is working in me. I don't want to ever, ever say it's all us because God is working in us. If God is not working with us and through us and in us, then all the pursuing we do will, will be nothing. He's the one who's going to do it. He's the one that's going to transform us. He's the one. But our part to play with him, we can't just sit back and do nothing. There's no free ride. God is saying, I did everything for you. Now you pursue sanctification. You use your body like this. You devote yourself to me. So I want, to think, I want you to think about some things here as, 
as you are this sanctified person sitting here this morning, if you have been set apart for Christ, if you, the designer is looking at you and saying, I want to take you back to the purpose that I, that I had for you. I want you to, to fulfill the purpose that the designer had. I want you to think about what is God going to use you for, but I also want you to think about not so much being set apart from the world, even though we are set apart from the world. That's, that's it. Set apart not for the world, but what are we set apart for? Not necessarily just set apart from. We're set apart from all the unrighteousness. God has, has given us a new place. But now, what are we set apart for? Service. A whole bunch of things, really. If, if you look at it, there's a whole bunch of things God is saying. I've set you apart for a lot of things. In fact, I prepared things for you to do. I've got things for you to do. One of the questions I'm going to have to leave you with, which is a general question, is what has God intended you for? What, what, what have you been set apart for? Why are you pursuing sanctification? In that pursuit of sanctification, what is He setting you apart for? What is He asking you to do personally? Part of what I want you to do this week is maybe even make a list. Because I think Paul is saying, make a list. Make a list. Where, where are you? in the sanctification process? Where are you in this conscious, continual, comprehensive choice to pursue sanctification? What are you, how are you pursuing sanctification with Him? What are you struggling with? What keeps popping its ugly head up? What do you need help with? Where do you need to pursue sanctification? Make that list this week. And when you do, and you, and you ask yourself, man... What has God set me apart for? One of the things is just this. Go and be like Jesus. He set you apart to be like His Son. To look like His Son. To act and talk like His Son. So this week, at the very least, just go and be like Jesus. Pursue sanctification through understanding who He was. Who He is. How He works. How He works in you. What He did. What He said. And do those things. So simple, and yet comprehensive. It takes a conscious choice, it takes a continual choice, and it takes a comprehensive choice. It's got to be all in for us, every, every, every bit. So this week, go and be like Jesus. And if you need help today to be more like Jesus, if you need the prayers of the body, we'd always love to pray with you. If you need to be washed in the blood this morning, if you haven't been sanctified, if you haven't been justified, Today is the day. And start that continual process of sanctification with Him. Do it today. Go and be like Jesus as well as we stand and as we sing.